Maker Maker podcast. This is where we talk to people who are artist practitioners but also have a deep passion and a practice in facilitating other people's making art in their own respective disciplines. My name is Nikola Tosic. Today I'm talking to Louise Campbell who is coming to us from the Canadian New Music Network and we're going to be talking about a fantastic resource that she's been working on sort of a hub for different projects and ideas for creative approaches to music teaching and music discovery. And we're talking to Jody Prosnick. She is a double bass player from Vancouver, much loved in the community, and we're glad to have her talk about a variety of topics concerning creative approaches to music making. I just wanted to say that the existence of this podcast is for the dissemination of this kind of work. And I started this podcast six years ago. Back then I was a freelancer trying to get workshops and I was new to Canada and I needed as much background information and sort of credibility. So I just started interviewing people. I have people that are into drama and dance, stop motion, visual art. So the idea was to have sort of resources of people who are, are arts practitioners, but also facilitate other people making things. I'm glad that Luis asked whether we could do a conversation like this for the podcast, because it sort of reinvigorates my passion too. And I've already actually have lined up several people to interview after this. So thank you, Luis. <laughs> Luis, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background who you are and where you're coming from. For sure. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that you've got more conversations happening. I'll be really yeah. excited to hear what everybody has to say. Um, I've, I'm a lifelong musician. Um, I'm a clarinet player and I play a lot through guitar pedals and over the last year have done an enormous amount of digital production. Um, so I'm kind of a musician at large and I try and just use all of the tools and skills that I have in order to make music with anybody who's out there. And I have always done this ever since I was young. Um, it really started with me just wanting to make music with my sister and my friend. And I've continued that on in my professional career as a musician to really working with anybody, whether there may be uh, somebody who's uh, suffering from Parkinson's disease, or it may be a room full of kids who have been invited into a classroom in order to help them make music using objects out of a recycle bin. Or it may be, you know, an adult uh, community center where people come together and have known each other for their entire lives and are seeking support for um, living their lives as people with, with severe physical disabilities. So I really see what I do as a musician as being a way to bring people together, um, to give them voice and allow them to access their own creativity using the experience and whatever um, life skills, life experience they have. Um, and it's something that I love to do. I really find an, an enormous amount of inspiration from people. As much as I love to play, you know, my instrument, I love to hear what's inside of people and how people hear the world and what they have to share. And I think that's the biggest thing, reason why I'm motivated to do this work. 
Um, and because of that, I've been working on the Purchase of Story Creative Music Hub for the last two years, which is meant to feature people like all of us and the kinds of projects that we're doing in order to share tools to help more people make music on their own. And that's the reason, I think, why, why the three of us are talking today. Um, I've known Jody for, for many, many years, but Nicolette's one of the reasons why I, uh, Jody suggested that I speak with you, because um, it seems to me that we're all kindred spirits in finding ways to allow people to, to, to access their own creativity in their own ways. Mm -hmm. yes. Jody Prosnick. Beautiful. <laughs> Keep in mind that maybe people will watch this and don't know you. So just yeah. give us a sort of a, okay. who are you just? Um, yes, I'm a bassist uh, and a composer and um, an educator out here on the West Coast of Canada. Um, I'm a band kid. I grew up in the band room. My dad was a high school music teacher and the band room was the fertile place for creativity and community. Um, it was a very welcoming place. Everybody from all shapes and sizes and walks of life. He was always allowing everybody involved in the music program. So for me, the music space was a place of community and excellence, but a lot of fun. Um, and um, I never intended to go on into music. <laughs> so uh, I, it was just something I enjoyed to do. Um, and and yeah, anyway, life, music was like ear, ear in here. So uh, there's a chain of events as to how I ended up sitting here today. Um, I ended up studying at McGill in jazz performance. But the interesting thing for me, a couple of things about my background was that I didn't actually study bass until I got to university. Um, I was a dancer. I'd had some classical piano training. I'd had so I had some core skills: orf, kadai, musical theater, dance. Uh, we used to make plays up all the time and dance to albums in our living room. And so, you know, creativity in my early years was something we just did. That's how we lived in the world. It was just what we did for fun. We just made stuff. Um, and then, and so the band room was kind of an extension of that. And then all of a sudden I ended up at university and things get really serious, really fast. And I jumped out of performance because I didn't like that feeling. Like it was something about that space that felt like anxiety inducing. And, 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 and I switched into music education. I thought, you know, I love teaching. I always have. So I, I, I want to do teaching, but it was interesting the minute I took myself out of this sort of hierarchical, like you must be able to play at this point in this jazz program by this point when I'm like, hey, man, I never had a bass list until I got here. Like, how can I be here in my first year when I can't play major scales yet? Um, and I'm here because people saw potential in me, right? They just saw something in me yeah. that um, was an embodied thing. It wasn't the knowing. It was like the 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 life spirit, the body groove, the potential right yeah so it was like a little seed so at least you know there was people that saw that but then you know when it came to like meeting these marks uh at various points along the way it was just like i i can't get there i i and i was also looking at the guy beside me in the bass room who'd been studying bass since they were like six i'm like well <laughs> like we're not at the same level I, how can we can, so there's a lot about that experience. So I got out of the hot seat, went in music education, and then music bass became for me, me again, there was no expectation of a career as a performer. And the minute I switched out of the, and just was doing it for me again, I started to grow as a player and surrounded myself with like great people and 
collaborative environments and, you know, because it was my choice, I got to choose if I wanted to do combos or not. It was my choice. Um, and I flourished and I, you know, grew as a player, but without any expectation, of, I'm going to have this big performing career. So it's that whole idea of, um, uh, creating the conditions, the right fertilizer to grow the artist and grow the creative spirit and feeling, um, um, brave <laughs> to, yeah. to get into new situations and stuff. It was a really interesting, like it was more like a jungle gym than a ladder for me. It was like, and then, you know, my career is, I've had incredible things happen, uh, in my performing career, but there was no mapped out plan for that. It was, it was just sort of at the more I settled into this intrinsic motivation and actually really deciding how I want to feel when I make music and play music. Like I want to be in joy. I don't want to feel like I want to cry all the time. Yeah. That wasn't fun. I, I don't want to do this. If that anxiety world is just mm. comes with it. I was like, Hmm. So I go over here and get rid of the anxiety world because it's just fun with friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, I improved and yeah. got stronger and better and, and I think, you know, a lot of people say, I never have lost that joy. And it was a decision. It was like, I'm going to create the conditions to be in my joy. And so for me as an educator, that experience of if someone had just said to me, it's, you're, this is music is really fun. <laughs> like, 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 really fun. Yeah. And it can always, I mean, there's times where you work, but even why not practice as meditation? Yeah. You know, even the way they name some things like, my bass teacher called this exercise. You made us do the torture. <laughs> I was like, I changed the name. I'm like, it's the flow. Like we're aiming yeah, yeah, for yeah, flow yeah. here, you know? So even the language around, uh, you know, the whole culture. So I yeah, a lot of my journey has been about reflecting back on what happened and what choices did I make and why did they snap into alignment and, and, uh, and then how do we bring, cultivate those spaces or that, that feeling energy of joy and expression and possibility and, mm. and um, allowing and process driven to infiltrate our practice as not just creatives, but also um, absolutely as, as facilitators. And that's just been a, a, a passion, you know. I would argue um, as humans too. <laughs> Pardon me? I would argue, I would add as humans too. As humans. Well, that's it. Music is yeah. life. Life is music yeah. where everything's vibration and we come out of the womb singing with a beat. So everything's music. Yeah. I mean, we're art pieces. And that's the other thing. No one, like, imagine if you come out of the room and, and someone held you and said, you are a beautiful work of art. <laughs> like everything you do is art. Yeah. But like, oh, everything I do is art. Yeah. The way I breathe is art. The way I brush my hair, it's art. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's such a different, uh, such a different feeling in your life. Anyway, so that's, I don't know, I thought for those who don't know me, I don't know, that, you probably get a sense of what I'm, I'm about. <laughs> yeah. It really resonates with me because for several reasons, it sounds mm -hmm. like you discovered a, an unobstructed way to express yourself when you sort of made your own choices to to play with the jungle gym mm -hmm. <laughs> rather than try to scramble up that ladder and mm -hmm. um, I have a similar story to yours a little bit more brutal more European classical training and mm -hmm. then 
same thing came out singing singing with my brother my sister and then you know got into this mainstream classical tradition and it's very cut and dry brutal you can you can or you can't you know and i think that's this still has its iterations in the jazz world in all kinds of yeah, places oh, where sure. the cans and the can'ts and then that repeatedly has a lot of self-doubt and so i i was i was always pushing against that on with my muscles you know i was pushing against obstruction mm. and only recently like a year ago discovered that I had removed obstructions, you know, mm. that I started to, what you said, to play maybe three, four years ago, to start to play not as practice, but as a meditation, as just being there with the instrument. And so really interesting in journeys and my journey, same thing, hard, 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 always with the internal sort of childlike hope that there is that joy in music mm-hmm. and I'm not getting it I'm getting crushed and crushed and crushed and there is that joy in music and then finally I sort of I reparented myself mm-hmm. uh, both as a human and as a musician as sort of empowering someone to to know that what they're doing is art when I started doing creative workshops 10 years ago when I did a master's the first thing that I realized if I had had these experiences when I was young, mm. whatever that meant, I would have fallen in love with it in such a easier flow, more flowing way. I would have been creative 15 years earlier. The first time that I actually put something out as my own was last year. And now I'm not afraid of how it looks out there. And I'm not afraid of yeah. judgment. I just, I'm sharing what I'm expressing. Mm-hmm. And I want students, and not students, also like you say, Luis, non-musician student, that's my experience, to feel that as part of their life, to feel that that is a space for them to express themselves. I did put out a question, and I'm sure you've had experience with sharing to share this these approaches with teachers mm-hmm. and having a lot of different stories of those teachers, personal stories, just like our stories are which then results in a varied response of willingness to dive into approaches that have uncertain um, results. I love working with teachers. I love working with teachers and students. And I think that schools have incredible potential for places for great enthusiasm and creativity to come out of. I always get like this little burst of tingly kind of like excited excitement every time when I walk into a school or when I come into a Zoom room, which is how a lot of my schoolwork is happening right now, because I don't know what's going to happen. And I like that feeling. Mm. I really like that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that excitement is, is because I get to be a guest in the school system and mm-hmm. I get to see this incredibly special connection between a teacher and their students mm-hmm. who built that up for a long time before I ever get there. Um, and there's a lot of things that are going on under the surface that I don't know about. So there are some great advantages for that and there's some real disadvantages sometimes. Um, oftentimes the teachers that I'm working with um, are very accomplished artists themselves too. So I take an effort, like I make an effort to actually really talk with people before I ever get into a classroom, whether it's in person or virtually, in order to figure out where they're at and uh, what their experience is and what some of their conceptions of creativity are. Um, And some of those conceptions of creativity tell me exactly what I need to do. Um, So if I have, if I'm working with a teacher, I see it as team. I see it very much as, as teamwork. And what is this teacher offering 
her kids or his kids? And what can I do that's going to complement that? So if that's a matter of me as, you know, a very classically trained musician coming into a band room, um, I found out maybe that the band teacher doesn't have any experience in improvising, um, but I know that they, they win awards at local festivals. I have an idea of how well her kids play. So that means that I can find a way to take those skills and show both the teacher and the students how they can move forward and use those skills for their creativity. If I know, for example, that a teacher um, is not a trained musician and also is a fabulous guitar player all on their own and have never brought that guitar into their class, then maybe I can find a way to incorporate that so that that teacher is going to be comfortable doing that beyond the time that I'm in the classroom. Or say there's somebody who really loves music, listens to it all the time, um, but has never done music and sound exploration in a room. There's maybe no gear, there's no instruments. Mm -hmm. Then I need to find a way that's possible for that teacher and those students to make music together. Yeah. So it's really, I'm, I'm there to find solutions to help people mm -hmm. get into a creative place in a way that um, they're going to have fun, you know, because that's really the, the real crucial part for me is that as soon as people are having fun, yeah. then they, they just have a great time. And we're all creative beings, like every yeah. single one of us. I yeah. feel really strongly about that. But as soon as we start to feel like, I don't know, I, I can't really do that, that's when people start to crisp up, me included. Yeah. And my job as a facilitator is to find a way to make sure that we're, we're not getting into that sort of like scary zone for people. Yeah. Um, and I've got all kinds of tricks up my sleeve, like I'm sure both of you do, yes. um, in order to figure out ways to just, you know, really reassure people and, you know, approach people with respect of what they know and what their experience are and what they what they want to do as well, too. You know, it's it's not about me. I no. can go off and play my clarinet any, any day that I want to. <laughs> when I'm in, in a facilitator role, it's about them and it's about us. What can we do together? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm looking to try and facilitate. Yeah. I think that the fun part might be really the buy-in and, and maybe and a little bit of challenging of sort of getting this work out there because it feels like as soon as they're experiencing it, then they sort of get sucked in. You know, there's that sort of a little bit of a void of not knowing what's going to happen. But then once it's happening and the fun is happening, then it starts to flow. And maybe I think Jody and I, maybe we spoke once about how do you sort of navigate that as an introduction piece to maybe a teacher that isn't accustomed to this kind of work and might be a little uneasy with the not knowing what it is, mm -hmm. but not even being able to know what it is until they're experiencing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... I mean, one of the things I, I like to do when I'm facilitating any sort of ongoing group work is um, to set the core values of learning um, as a group. Um, so I actually have them. I can, we can post them maybe under your thing. I mean, and they should be whatever, you know, as an educator, um, you know, you have to come up with your own. But I mean, I can just read you what some of them are. And, and what I tend to do, like the opening session is just super cash, like, hey, everybody, just welcome. Let me know, like, and I make jokes, and I'm super light about it. And I'm just like, okay, we're here to have some fun. And, you know, I said, I don't go, here's my resume. I go, you know, if you want to find out about me, just Google me, whatever, you know, we're all here. But then I set I set the tone with, 
you know, phrases usually, I mean, I do, I've done it in different ways, but we do this at the workshops all the time where I put the core values around the room. Mm -hmm. And then everyone, I ask everyone to just walk around the room and read and then stand by one that really resonates with them. So maybe one that for the day or for the activity, they're, they're going to kind of live in this core value and it's the one that spoke to them the most that they needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And then I invite if somebody wants to from the group that's gathered around the core value, if they want to bring it in then, but I often, before I even do that, we do like marching around the room games and like getting to know you games and some fun uh, levity, you know, I bring in levity. Um, because I acknowledge two things. One is we live in a hierarchical system. So they're immediately putting me up here and feeling mm -hmm. small. So how do I change, turn it into a circle? How do I change the energy of that? Instead of them all sitting there staring at me, it's just like, no, let's just run around the room and march around the room and high five each other as we're going by, not in COVID, but even virtually, right? Find a way to gather. Um, <clears throat> and and stand in a circle right or um rather than like the desk so that that's what i do first and then we do the core values and the core values i mean i pulled them up here um the first one is that who whomever you are is okay <laughs> it's essential that you feel like you can be yourselves at all time in order to take risks be vulnerable and learn new things and create art you're fine you're enough um, every person in this class is equal and everyone's valued equally so your background and experience i don't care you know, I don't, I don't, if you have lots of private lessons experience, that's great. But if you don't, that's fine too. <laughs> it's great. You know, whomever you are. Um, the third one is be mindful of your thoughts and stay away from anything other than in this moment, I'm enough and I'm perfectly imperfect, just like everybody else. Number four is to be aware of your body. And if you're starting to feel discomfort, to pay attention to it, to breathe into it and to stretch if needed. Five is that nothing leaves the classroom. So we don't share what goes on it with anybody outside the community of learners because we need to feel safe to take artistic risks and have open discussions. So don't take pictures or video without permission and no commenting on anything that goes on. It's, it's like a sacred space. You are not your grade. I cannot grade creativity, wholeheartedness, attentiveness, kindness, enthusiasm, persistence, humor, or courage, and those are the things I value more than whether you get an A on a test or not. Um, number seven is to be present in the song. Leave, try to leave your cares at the door, pack them up and put them at the door. And we may even do a check-in, where are you out of five today? Are you, you know, out of 10, put your hands up. Anybody under five, we're gonna send love to the people under five. Anybody over five's got energy to give, you're gonna, you know, that kind of thing, like acknowledge where you're at today. Sometimes we have terrible days. A lean towards fears and anxieties and knowing that the group's there to be a safe, soft place for you. Ask a lot of questions. Questions are the juice of creativity. And the last one, or no, sorry, the second to last one is to just show up for your own life. Uh, and I'm going to show up for mine as the facilitator. Like, And also that's the thing for teachers too. Like, I don't feel anymore that I need to be the expert in anything. I just need to be a curious co-creator you know so that energy is really important um, and if you articulate that like there's things I don't know that you know I don't know like especially when we're dealing with adult learners I'm like you are a crown prosecutor <laughs> that's amazing own that and you know things I don't know and even with kids like you guys know technology 
technological things, I don't know. So if you see me needing support, you type up, Joan, I know how to do this. Or Ms. Prosnick, you know, I know how to do this. Let me help you. Because, you know, I'm going to learn from you too. And then the last one, which is one of my favorite skills, is talent equals skill plus confidence, and both can be cultivated over time. So I don't believe in talent. We have to get rid of that word. Um, That skill can be developed. It's and it's a it's a journey and it's a pathway that for some people they saunter and some people sprint and it's all okay. Some people like to walk for exercise. Some people like to do marathons. Some people are sprinters and it's all okay as long as we're moving. Um, and that we can cultivate confidence over time as well, especially when all these other core values are lived into in the space. So I've found when I set the tone and I leave them up in the space for creative work, that whenever people need reminders, I'll see them going over and being like, right, right. So I don't need to necessarily cheering everyone all the time, just like the, the words are there. And, and, you know, and if we need reminders, like I'm sensing this hierarchical thing happening. Remember number three, like number three, we are all equal here, you know? Um, we're co-creators, we're a community of learners. And I use really, I try and use really specific language around that. And what I found is that once you know, you know, you're like, oh, okay, those are our core values. And, you know, it just sort of sets us up for, to, with clarity, like, what are we doing here? Well, actually, this is what we're doing here. We're cultivating these core values. And then we're going to create some art or we're going to explore. And people will still feel nervous and upset or you know, vulnerable or frustrated. And that's okay, because whomever you are is okay. And, you know, right, so you can just spin it to point to one of these. So that's, that's, um, now it doesn't matter if I'm working with little ones or uh, adult learners, it's kind of the same. And the language may be different with little, littler people, but um, it's still the circle. And it's still this, this notion that, um, we need to soften the space around those hard edges of the rows and the lines and yeah. soften the, soften the spaces. So that's, um, yeah. That was a mouthful. <laughs> I know. Sorry. That was a lot. Well, and everyone, uh, whenever I spin through them, everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I could do a whole like PhD just on <laughs> number six, but, but yeah. It's really valuable. I think because oh, for several reasons, what the, the biggest thing that came up to me as you were going through the core values is I was thinking all of this applies to the teacher. Mm-hmm. All of them apply to the teacher being in that role of being present and and the way they reflect on themselves, mm-hmm. which I think is a, maybe points to that relation of your artistry mm-hmm. and what you do as a facilitator. Mm-hmm. And your artistry being a very personal view of yourself. And and that said, that we have so many iterations of that in each teacher coming again from their journey of experience in that the cans and the can'ts, cannots, the do's and the do don't, do I perform? Have I just been strumming in a guitar? That whole sort of very vulnerable sense of who am I as an artist and how vulnerable have I been or how, and so that's, and I don't, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but I think that's really the juicy part of it where a, a teacher can actually 
explore themselves again and over and over renewed through that pr process of facilitating um, other people making. But again, that's sort of a lot of vulnerable work that it feels like they as individuals need to sort of get in touch with that. I think it's interesting too, because some of the things that we're talking about are kind of societal as well too. Mm -hmm. Like, do we yeah. see this as being high art? Do we see it as being art for everyone? Um, you know, to what extent is somebody, you know, has a musical hero that they've always wanted to sound like all the time. Mm. You know, a lot of what I'll do to start off with um, is is just make sound together. So, mm. like, if I have a room full of people together, even if we're going to be playing instruments, we'll do sounds with our hands, and I'll mm -hmm. conduct them through something so that we yep. end up making a soundscape of, of something natural. And that very simple thing of making a snowstorm or a windstorm or you know, rain and hail just with our bodies is something that can kind of like switch the, the conversation quite radically into mm -hmm. this is just about sound mm -hmm. and experience. Mm -hmm. And for the people who have an idea of like, oh, I've always wanted to sound like so-and-so, or maybe I've never played an instrument. I've had so many people tell me, you know, teachers, um, even kids say, this is what music is. Well, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We and do a game uh, with instruments. I just did it with my group the other day. I'm like, okay, so in our opening vignette, I want you to find four sounds you've never found before mm -hmm. on your instrument and just like share them with the group. Like what four sounds did you find? And um, it's so cool. <laughs> they're just like, and then it just becomes this like, almost like they're little scientists. And, and it, it's not about the getting it right. It's like, ah, what can I make with the piano? Oh, I can rub. Oh, what if I do this? Or, you know, on the bass, you can bat with your fingers or whatever. Or grab the bow and hit off the side, back of the bow or whatever. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's so in a lot of ways, it's it. there's a simplicity to it. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, and it opens up the space in this sort of just whimsy, whimsy whimsical way that's just mm -hmm. disarms people right away I think too one of the yeah. things I love to do is actually like hide my clarinet put my clarinet together and yeah. talk to them it's like yeah this is great and now and turn around with my clarinet put together in a different order <laughs> and play them a piece with it <laughs> I love it and they must like, love it what yeah the element of surprise so totally. important that's the thing you have to take yourself seriously just seriously enough and no more and yeah, I think yeah. that that when we we are willing to be silly or, you know, make interesting sounds or not sound fantastic. Um, it helps to disarm this notion that we have to have it all together all the time, the perfect performance or it'll be super pulled together. I think too, for teachers, um, and it's tough because of the way it's situated with recitals and concerts and competitions and this whole energy of that, like, you know, teaching for the concert. And then there's the stress of like, well, we need to sound good, or maybe they'll get rid of our program. Um, that whole pressure is a real reality for people in the system. So, um, so, and I honor that, that it's not just like you got, you know, wipe it all, you know, just free play all the time and, you know, just constant games or whatever. Um, and, and I'm not in the system. So, um, you know, I don't always have a total answer for that other than, when I did work at the university and we did have, like, I had to give everybody grades, but I took like a percentage. I was like, okay, 30% of my time 
and the mark is for something just all about the creativity and I maybe 40%. And so, yes, we still did some of the institutional requirements stuff, you know, but you don't just give it all to that. You take a chunk and you go, we're going to prioritize this other thing. And I think uh, in terms of like how to start bringing this into your classroom and feeling brave with it, um, that that's a way I, I did it was I just like, okay, um, how can I, and I did the math. So I'm like, well, this is enough that's actually going to give everybody a boost to their mark. So that's good. If they do that work, it's, but they also still, you know, so it isn't like completely like wipe the slate clean and start fresh, which is ideally what would be great, but that's not always um, a reality. Or of course, doing what Louise does too, which is the artist in residence. So for a period of time, we just turn everything on its head and have a blast, yeah. you know, and it, that's what you were doing too, Nicola. Right? Yeah, I was doing yeah. before, and now I'm in the system. So it's an interesting topic because, like you just said, is that sort of the icebergs coming together? The icebergs. And university too. And I, I'll, I'm going to add, add the university is a whole other level of of seriousness. Of yeah. stuff. I've seen that, and and I'm I and I grew up in Europe, so I'm starting to discover this whole. Mm competitive sort of very North American sporty side of music too where it's you know going to the competition and and I've done classical competitions in Europe and honestly like I, I think it's pretty detrimental to to the artistic sensitivity of mm -hmm. on an individual and a group maybe less so than a group but definitely as an individual um, so that is a tricky sea to navigate. And I've gotten replies that that is a tricky thing to navigate. I like that you sort of divvied it up into percentages because mm -hmm. my experience up till now has been that I think there is a golden middle. Mm -hmm. I think that you can even maybe reestablish the relationship to historical music and conventional teachings through picking up that thing and looking at it, you know, sort of like Luis, what you said, a clarinet is still a classical instrument, but all of a sudden you just, you pieced it together in a new way and you can still do something with it. I like to use this, this, the phrase seriously silly. So like we can be silly and still put in this sort of very present, intense intention behind it. And we're still being silly. It's almost like a, physical comedy at the highest level of commitment, you know? Yeah. It's sort of the essence of it is absurd, but the delivery is just really, 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 again, and that's something that I think reflects on people's desire to for excellence. Mm. Without that sort of harsh, do your excellence only the way I say it, but maybe you decide what it is you're making and then together we can sort of decide what is excellence and how can we reflect on doing that thing that you decided to do with excellence. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to throw out everything, ideas of growth and mastering skills. Just to respond hard. to some of what you're saying, yes, the funny right. thing is that reassembling my clarinet is I don't do it for it to be silly. It's actually, I first started doing it when I'll get kids to compose me, I'll get them to tell me how they, I, they want me to play. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's one of the sort of like ways that I'll kind of demystify the creative process. <clears throat> 
is to say, how do you want me to play? Like, give me a word that you want me to play. And inevitably, somebody's going to say a bird. Like, it just comes up all the time. And like, there's birds that have been used as inspiration for music for like centuries. Mm -hmm. And of course, for the clarinet. And I've written a piece called Songbird. And it's played on half clarinet. So, you know, I'll sit, you know, take my clarinet apart and put it back together again and start playing it. And it actually sounds very bird-like. Mm. And so that's when, you know, people start to understand. It's like, oh, she played Mad before, and then she played mm -hmm. um, Dizzy, and then she played this thing like a bird, mm -hmm. and she did it with her instrument in a totally different way. That's mm -hmm. when people really start to get excited about it. So it's yes. actually not for the absurdity. I yeah. really feel strongly that I have... I am the musician I am because of the tradition that I come from. You know, I, I stand on the shoulders of giants. And some of those shoulders of giants are my grandmother who ran community choirs for her entire life and supported women standing up tall and strong and singing mm. uh, throughout their entire lives from the age of six until as long as they wanted to sing with her. Mm. And um, I find it interesting because I don't want to break that tradition Mm. I want it to evolve as it always has. You know, yep. nothing is crystallized. Things, there's always a problem when something doesn't move. And so why would I not use the tools that I have today at my disposition to keep on being creative within this very fundamentally, inherently creative form? Um, you know, like playing with guitar pedals is one of the best motivators I have in order to get students to practice their scales. Mm -hmm. And it's because all of a sudden they see the relevance mm -hmm. because it's, I just play, I play one melody instrument. I can play one note at a time, but with my pedals, I can play many. Mm. And because I know my scales and my arpeggios and all of this stuff, I can start to play music that is, that is understandable by, by some of the students that I work with based on the music that they normally listen to. So I really think that there's, there's a real great strength in the traditions that we have and I, that's actually something that I walk into a school classroom with, respect for the tradition mm -hmm. and respect for whatever tradition the teacher is coming from. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to tell them that I think what they are learning is crap. Like that would be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. But it's more to figure out like where they're coming from and what I can do to help them understand how they can use their skills in order to be creative themselves mm -hmm. if they've never done it before. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are excellent musicians who, you know, do things that I don't know anything about. And I need to find out what those skills are because making assumptions about anyone, regardless of age or role that you're feeling, is, is a terrible thing. Okay. So it is a conversation to figure out what kind of music we can make together. And yeah, you got me on a bit of a soapbox because I feel really strongly about the whole tradition thing. <laughs> we are the soapbox people, I think. But again, because we feel so passionately about it. Um... Louise, I want to mirror what you said very much. It's I've always said it's a yes and, not a this or that. It's a yes yeah, and, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, especially as a jazz musician, jazz improviser, I mean, there you can't – you can improvise at any level. You can create at any level. But to play jazz at a higher level, you have to be able to play your instrument well. And there is work required – to, to do it and you have to be able to play efficiently and you you know you need to know where things are and you need to understand theory like as you kind of work through the jungle gym of it as I like to call it you know there's skills so skill 
So creative play to me is when skill and knowledge in, has an interplay with the imagination. And where this is where when we get into genre even or worrying about genre, I like the polygenre idea of like rhythm is rhythm and, and, and timbre is timbre and quality of sound is quality of sound and, um, you know, melody is melody and harmony is harmony and, you know, polyrhythms and or polyrhythms. And you can speak and see those commonalities in like all kinds of different musicking, you know, all kinds of different genres. So when we think these big ideas and with the idea of that we want to be the most efficient we can be in our flow of ideas, which may require some more information to help with the flow of ideas or to, to document your ideas so that other people can participate or, you know, I always think when we think these bigger words um, or bigger ideas, it helps, um, again, not like cut this out and go over here. It's like, no, all of this, see how it's all sort of connected. And, um, but I do think that, uh, so I have a question for both of you. Um, given that, like, so my background is full on jazz. So it was like baked in that there was improvising, like from the get go. And I hated it and I didn't ever want to do it. And then I did it. And the first time was really hard. And then the second time was a little less hard. And the third time was a little less hard. And then eventually you just like, it's like, you know, sipping a glass of water for me. Oh, I can improvise a solo, whatever, you know, bring it on. <laughs> oh, that sucked. Oh, well, flies off in the universe. You get really good at just making stuff up and and letting it go um so as two people who kind of grew up more in the the classical music tradition i'm really curious to know what was that journey or was it always there were there people who lit the spark in you um when did you start exploring this part of yourself because in in a traditional sense that that is there isn't always a whole lot of that uh invitation happening in traditionally so i'm very curious to know where it happened and who yeah i know i'm totally taking over <laughs> the okay. questioning but i really am curious because i think it'd be beneficial for those that did grow up in the conservatory uh model because i think a lot of times that's who i'm working with they're like i want to know but i just don't know well, you're a jazz musician this is easy for you it's like well no 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 like you don't think of it in terms of jazz and classical. It's like, you know, this is about imagination and, and exploration. So anyway. Yeah. That's my I have question. a lot to say on that topic. Yeah. Too. Mm -hmm. uh, so as far as like where I came to this, I think as a child, I naturally improvised. And I think that we're all improvisers as children. But I have very strong memories of like improvising on the piano as I was practicing with the thunderstorm that was going on. Right. At the same time. And so it wasn't about you know, the scales and, and arpeggios that I was playing. It was actually really much, very much about sound. Um, and I was quite young at that time. Um, I was probably seven or eight. And I was lucky. I came from a musical family. Mm -hmm. And I have this memory of my mom sort of peeking her head around the corner and then withdrawing <laughs> and letting me continue doing what I was doing. Mm. Um, so, and I also actually, as far as the competitions go, the competitions and festivals I was part of had composition as part of the festival. So you could enter your own composition into a class and perform it and get feedback. And so I did that every single year. And I also had a teacher who encouraged us. We, we were required every year to either write our own piece and perform it as, at the end of the recital or construct a musical instrument. Wow. So that was part of what we did. Amazing. Um, 
And then as a teenager, I kind of got out of it more because I was really involved in a very uh, high level performance program. And there's just so many hours in a day. And, you know, (laughs) I was having fun with doing what I was doing, you know, like it was certainly not a question of not being creative. It was just like I was diving full into the whole, um, you know, Mozart competition route. Um, Then at a certain point when I was in my university I mean, I'd always known that I wasn't an orchestral player, that that wasn't my route, but I didn't know what my road was, and I didn't have any people who um, I had who could be examples because of just the the institutions that I was in, and the in part because I was a fairly accomplished musician in that route, so I was always getting first clarinet, you know, so in some ways that's not a gift, because you always get first clarinet, you're always playing first clarinet, and there's not much room for anything else. Um, but at a certain point, I just started looking for other things. And a good friend of my, mine, um, somebody suggested that I go to a dance class. Mm. And the dancers always get excited about having live music. So they invited me to play. And I took out my clarinet and I was just like, nothing I know is appropriate for right now. Because it was improvised dance. Just like, mm. okay, then I guess I need to find something else to do. <laughs> so I took a piece that I was playing And I kind of deconstructed it, and I did something that was appropriate for that room at that time. Um, Around the same time, I'd also was getting encouraged by a really good friend of mine to go enroll in a a theater workshop. It was all about theater creation. So all of a sudden, I was being asked to be creative without my instrument in my hands, which was enormously anxiety-provoking and Mm. so good for me. Mm. Because all mm-hmm. of a sudden I had to realize that I had something to say that didn't have to pass through the clarinet. Mm-hmm. I had to become expressive with my body. I could express through words. I could express through mm-hmm. marionettes, which I loved. That's all about manipulating an instrument, just like I was doing with my clarinet all the time. And I mean, it, it continues to today. Nicola, you, you mentioned that you just authored things that you put your name to for the first time a year ago. Well, I would say that I have just started to do that now. And I was about 40 when I first started to do that. Mm-hmm. So I've personally had a lot of baggage around the word composer mm-hmm. um, and had to really come to terms with that, even though I have been composing and making music for my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I think some of this, as you mentioned, it's soul searching for the individual, you know, like where are your own assumptions and where are your own blocks and where are you comfortable and where are you not comfortable? Mm-hmm. And it's not a matter of like digging into the places that hurt, but like actually just going with like, okay, where am I, where am I happiest? Mm. You know, where do I find that feeling of like, I'm just a little kid having a great time yeah. making music again. Cause I did that as a kid. And that's oftentimes like if I find myself putting pressure on myself, it's like, Go back to how you were making music as a kid, which was playing with a thunderstorm, practicing your scales, signing up for handbell choir, playing my <laughs> clarinet, singing in a choir. Yeah. Like I was a bit of a musical nomad. And I think that that is my natural state and yeah. probably part of the reason why I've gravitated towards this music, because every classroom that I go into is different. Yeah. Every situation is going to be different. And, you know, it's me to adapt to them. I think also... Um, what's been really important for me in the last few years is working with people with severe physical disabilities, so people who don't have manual dexterity, and also who are nonverbal. And mm-hmm. just my, I feel so strongly, everybody can create music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How am I going to do this with somebody who maybe doesn't have manual dexterity and vocalizes in a very different way mm-hmm. than maybe I do? So I'm the one who needs to learn. 
Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that person. The learning will hopefully happen for them, but it's going to be a very different kind of learning than I would myself. Mm. So that's my trajectory in the sense of um, I think improvisation is is uh, very much part of part of I think everyone and something that I did as a child and being put into situations where that that's actually the best way to go mm-hmm. was how I started to get to be more and more comfortable with it mm-hmm. and how I started to kind of develop my own chops you know and my own ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Mm, that is an awesome story. It's very inspiring. That in the end actually really resonated with me. Well, a lot of things did, but your own way of developing your chops might reflect on how you work. I don't push people into improvisation without a sense that they feel their safety there. Mm-hmm. My personal approach to improvisation now, and, and I'll sort of dispel your, your notion that I'm a classical musician, Jody, because I, I actually got a bachelor in jazz. You know, oh. I, I ran away from the classical okay. world, but I brought all the baggage of the classical world mm-hmm. into the jazz world because I didn't, I didn't experience personally the joy of improvisation. So I went into like a university level where I realized there are a lot of constrained and not positively constrained <laughs> views in the jazz world. And there was a lot to deal with. And if you didn't have the proper scaffolding of internalizing those tools and abilities, then you're just overwhelmed and you're just being tumbled around. And that's, for me, improvising was petrifying experience because I didn't really develop those skills. So then I went away from that. And then when I started actually, so I started doing the workshops and that tying into Luis's um, point that pulled me back into the childlike thing into that thing of I really want to go back to my five-year-old self because that's where I was unobstructed with my brother and sister just sort of flowing with it just and then after that I started to undo the hurt that was happened through my education and then I got into Balkan music where you do have improvisations but they're very modal you know it's Things, you have lots of space to stretch out and and there's virtuosity but the person that I learned from was very good at expression sort of that you know you can be virtuosic but when you do that one note where you really just your soul and your heart is coming out that's the thing that grabs people's guts you know then I realized Yes, I love improvisation, but I also love that improvisation that grabs your emotion. So for me at this point in life is trying to extrapolate the things that I love from all those uh, parts. So from the classical melodies, shapes, I really, when I improvise, I'm, for me, it's a search for shape. Mm. The Balkan, it's a search for the emotion, just a pure feeling, you know. And we, and we have those great artists that can do all. And then from the jazz, it's sort of, it's emotional, but it's also, also intellectual stretching out into different places. And then from the experimental, again, it's stretching out into even having the synesthesia of sound where you sort of, you can have geometrical expressions or, or views of sound. So it's, and again, at the end of the day, it's sort of a spiritual practice where you're sitting and you're looking for these things and you're looking to 
empty yourself of yourself so that you can go into this beautiful observing thing and seeing it happen like whoa just being in that moment so that's where my improvisation is mm. when i facilitate workshops i don't want to overwhelm students so i tend to go to the here are some constraints play with them and find something so they're sort of composing through improvising but they're not put on the spot to improvise in front of everyone yeah, they do yeah. it in smaller, safer groups. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been interesting um, with the online world because one of the benefits, a couple of things, I, I did some workshops around inquiry projects and um, some of the teachers were sharing that when they um, were inviting students to explore improvisation uh, while everyone was at home, you know, and not in spaces. So that was one thing they were doing. They'd sort of have this like improv uh, exploration. And what they found was not only they were blown away with the, the submissions, because when when people are allowed to just explore mm. without the eyes on them or the vulnerability of having to like sort of work through things like in real time in front of people, um, they were blown away by what happened when it was just this personal thing of exploration with you and your instrument in your space. And, you know, um, there was no expectation of it being public. Um, you, you share it with your teacher only who is there, you know, obviously there was a sp safety there. So, and also when I'm doing improv workshops and stuff online, like everybody's muted. Uh, so I, I bring a concept forward. I say, now it's time to explore. Here it is, guys. Go explore for a while. How'd that go? And not even do you want to share. It's just like, how did any questions? What did it bring up for you? Like, what did you discover? Um, it's, I don't care, you know, you can share it or not. One of the great things I heard, I have to give this shout out to Jill. She talked about creative work that there's, you can offer three options. Do you want us to just witness the work silently? Do you want us to celebrate your work? Or do, would you like us to offer feed? Would you like me to offer feedback? And so you can choose to just have a wit for people to bear witness, for people to, to to maybe you need a little cheering on, or you can have feedback. And I love that. And I actually just consciously choose sometimes when I, we are rehearsing stuff or working through stuff to not say a thing after we perform. Just like, well, that was great and fun. How'd that be yeah. for you guys? Like, any thoughts? And not just jump into the, well, let's fix this and blah, 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 which I think part of it is this whole notion of being a music teacher and you have to, you feel like I need to, you know, work mm. for my buck and teach everybody all the time, constantly, instead of it being just this bearing witness to what's emerging, working with the stuff as it emerges and responding to it, but also giving space for just the non-verbal experience of music making to exist in its as a as an um, as an expression in and of itself without needing the commentary, yeah. right? Um, and I think inviting I think teachers to do that 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 you know that you don't always have to have the answers, and it's even worse when you try and have answers when you don't and when you actually don't know. And you're pretending you do. It's exhausting. I mean, I've done that. I've done that, especially in my early years. Where I was like, I don't even know why I'm here. So talk, 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 blah, blah, blah. Just yeah. sort of half know, but pretend I know what I'm doing. 
And the less I'm in that zone, the better for me, for the students, for my energy level, their energy level. Um, and also, I don't know how you guys feel, feel about that, but just like, you know, you're organized and you have a plan and, but you're able to kind of flow with whatever happens and read the room, so to speak. And sometimes if it, you know, especially with everything that's been going on and on the planet, like some days we just want to play, like nobody wants, you guys just want to play today? And I'll say that, let's just jam. <laughs> let's just play through the music. Yeah. No. I'm not in the mood to do anything other than that. Are you guys? No. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes we're all like, we're ready to dig into something, you know, like work through something. And so I try and mix it up. Yeah. I mean, that's, I find that, that idea of, um, you know, do you want to witness, do you want feedback? Like that's a really interesting thing. And I think has a lot to do with respectful communication mm -hmm. and I'll model how to give feedback before I ever ask students for feedback mm -hmm. because there's a teacher in the room, but there's also everybody's peers in the room. Mm -hmm. And in some ways those peers comments count a lot more than the teacher comments. And so I want to, I want to navigate that and make sure that I start to understand the class culture before I allow those, those comments to start come, coming up. Cause it will matter, it will matter to kids what they're, peers say to them and I think too like it's um grading assessment is such a big deal for teachers it's so mm -hmm. hard and so I think they're what I found useful is to help teachers find a way to assess the process mm -hmm. rather than the outcome and so I'll very especially because I, I interact with a lot with um with classical like with straight up band groups who've yeah. never improvised before have a lot of chops, which are Fun. super useful for helping them learn the beginnings of improv, but have never really understood. They've never ever done the guitar thing of like riff on three notes for, you know, three hours and groove out, you know? So it's, it's like, well, okay, we're going to take this motive. What are the building blocks of music? Can you name some for me? Okay. You've got, you got time. What can we do with time? All right. So you can stretch it out. You can compress it. You can chop it up. You know, like, what else can you do with time? Okay, we're just going to go with time. And Jody, like you said, there are some real fantastic things with Zoom and that everybody is in their own space, so it means it's quiet. Mm. When you're in a music class, it's often so loud yeah, 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 yeah. that it's hard for anybody to get into the zone by themselves. Yeah, 100%. You know? yeah. So that's those. there are things, like structural things, that I think it really... Um, really have a huge impact on how we approach music creativity yeah. in yeah in whatever room it yeah. is and yeah. especially within the educational system for sure for sure yeah there's just um you got to work with what what's there um but uh i i think that you know that sometimes the obstacle is the path i mean it just requires sometimes for us to be even more creative and you know, problem solve through some of these things instead of just putting our hands up in the air and say, well, I have to do this and I have to, I should, da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, so let's look at all this stuff and how can we find ways to um, work with what is and shift it in a different way or see it from a different perspective in terms of just bringing this time, type of work into the high school spaces in particular. Because like I said, I think the elementary and quite frankly, university um, spaces, I, 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 um, I wish there was more of this kind of, uh, philosophy, given that at the university level, we're supposed to be creating artists, <laughs> like helping to cultivate artists. Um, and often 
times I find that this um, skill acquisition, information acquisition um, delivery, which is very kind of antiquated where I'm up here lecturing, learn the info, regurgitate it back to me. Uh, it's a hard nut to crack, you know, it, it, to, to switch it. Interestingly enough, you went to theater school. Like for me, the, crack, the nut got cracked when I did my master's in arts education and worked with dancers and visual artists and photographers who taught me how to listen. They actually taught me how to listen. It wasn't the music <laughs> teachers. It wasn't. It, I, and, you know, we did ear training. But, I mean, listen, like like full body sensual listening, uh, expanding into the collective space, uh, listening with your whole body, listening, observing, documenting, process, what's your own process. Uh, it, it was eye-opening. And actually, I had a bit of a meltdown <laughs> because, you know, I was 29 and I had done years of teach of, of music learning and like I said no one ever really looked at me and said well what do you want to make ever it was always just like okay I need to play well for this ensemble or do well in this class and I want that professor to tell me I'm okay and I need to get an A for this and there was very little for me real you know, it was very extrinsically motivated. Like I need to get good grades and I need to be approved of by the jazz people. And, you know, and all of a sudden I had a, my mentor, my dance instructor say, you know, write a bodyography. Like what, what do you notice in your lived life and make something? And I was like, what? And the stuff that just poured out of me, was just, but I also had to mourn uh, I mourned for the girl that was who went away and was coming back up again for all those years that I just didn't, I, it's like my sparkle had diminished. I mean, I was still playing well and having lots of on paper, fantastic experiences, but it was like this, this, the, the, the whimsy part of me, the, the like curious person, the, the, the person who felt like she was actually creative was gone and I'm an improvising jazz musician so that awakening for me through interdisciplinary work um I would love to see that happen more and I think that's where what what we can bring you know to the conversation it's that again when you don't limit yourself even by saying I am a bassist I am a blah do this 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 it's like no I <laughs> Like I said, I mean, my, my prof was like, you are a piece of art. Like, every, you know, everything is raw material for creativity. So when I had my little boy and he's two and we're running around and, and as much as I was like, ah, I need to make another album maybe, uh, I was like, no, I'm actually practicing right now with him dancing in my kitchen. Like it's, this is going to be something I know. And I would document, however, like anything that would, turn me on anything that was like that's beautiful click or I'm gonna sing that in my phone la you know I'm like I don't have time to sit down and make my next big orchestral work but I'm gonna just sing so it's but it was a way of being that I think when that's part of the conversation in music education it's like everything is music sound is 
everywhere. And as you, Louise, your work, well, both of your work, I mean, you just invite people into this, these spaces of noticing. It's like the pedagogy of noticing the life you're in Mm -hmm. and how it vibrates and resonates and how you can use all of that to make stuff with other people. Um, No matter where you're at, no matter what, what what your body's doing or not doing or you know it's it's such a different mindset that um i think would be transformative you know um for people when they start to really live into that i mean louise i mean if teachers are watching right now you have to go check out louise's project on the hub it is so awesome it's so multifaceted it is so um, it, I, I love that it just sort of showed up. It's like, oh, here's the situation. And the project has sort of emerged from what was going on, you know, at the time in, in the space and noticing it, right? And, well, how can we work with this? And, you know, so, yeah, amazing. And, of course, Nicola, you know I love you and all the work <laughs> you do. But, but, like, I know for me, when I put my six-year-old hat on or my 10-year-old hat, I would have been so into that. I mean, I would have just been like, this is the most fun thing to do ever. It's just, it's an awakening agent, this this kind of work. It, it really is. It's like playful and creative and, but skill building too, you know, it's all of it. So yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. That was a bit of a soliloquy. No, that's really good to segue and end with Luis giving us a little breakdown of the hub. But before that, yeah. totally agree with you. That's the whole thing. If I was a kid, I would have eaten it up. But that's the joy of seeing it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. That's why I want to see more teachers doing it. Because when you see that happen, and it's not just elementary. I've done this with secondary students. I just had a big assignment two months. And I did all that. You know, like, they turned into the six-year-olds, even though they're 14, 15. And they just lit up. And it was... I seen this before but since i was working with the group for a longer period just these things emerge these sort of authentic selves from the most unexpected places where i just like ah did not expect that and now i totally see it you are that person you know you're shaping this whole orchestra in front of you of improvisers or whatever creative peers and it's so exhilarating and it doesn't take anything away from that high level ability to you know perform all these pieces in fact i would argue that it deepens it Mm -hmm. because it gives it uh, a deeper understanding of like you said louis the building blocks Mm -hmm. you know getting to understand to sort of break it down into more manageable pieces that you can play with and then piecing it back together and then being able to recognize these things in wonderfully composed traditional pieces and then appreciate them as an observer, appreciate them as a performer, feel empowered as a person who feels like I can do that too. It's not away from me. It's not on some other island that's mm-hmm. unreachable for me. I live on that island too. Mm-hmm. So that it, it really puts everything into this beautiful horizontal plane where you can do all of that. You can do all of it. You just did it. Yeah. I don't even have to tell you, you can do it. You did it. And that's the experiential piece where that's why I do it. 
I don't care if you never play music again, but I doubt that you won't. <laughs> you know? So, anyway, Louis, if you want to wrap this up for us mm-hmm. for giving us a little bit more of what the hub can be, because I think people do find themselves in a position of how do I do it? What do I do? I'm out of ideas. I've, even with all my experience, I love the hub because I've already stolen some ideas and like, great. I refresh my own experience of it. I can be a beginner. Give us a breakdown. Yeah. That's what the hub is for. Yeah. Um, The participatory creative music hub is a place for people to really showcase their, their processes, their ways of working that they found have just been really made people light up. Um, And it's meant to be there to give people tools. So if you're kind of fresh out of ideas or maybe you want to try something new that you've never done before, then you can go to the hub and you can get some ideas of how to do that. And there's all kinds of different approaches. You know, you've got like the the approach of really diving into the emotions like Jody did, where you name an emotion and then using whatever skills and tools people already have, they can find a way to express that in sound. And watch Jody's videos because there's like 10 emotions and they're all <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Or something that people does, which is a little bit more on the focus of like, what what are these little nuggets of music? What makes up music? And how can we take this from a piece that we already know and transform that into something different, into something new? Um, which is a fabulous approach and one that I think works really well for um, you know band programs, especially. Because so many of those band programs are based around learning the canon which is wonderful. It's a way, Nicola's project is really a way to find, um, to help students make those pieces their own. And mm-hmm. when they go back to the the score that the composer wrote, they'll understand it and inhabit that score very differently. And it, it's, you know, mutual benefit. Um, the piece, or the project that I was working on was really actually the one of the school teachers who came to me and just said, like, our cafeteria is deafening. Like... <laughs> I can't handle it and I don't have sensory overload. Like, could we do something to address this? So I spent a good uh, four, three, four months doing listening exercises with the kids in the school. And it was really amazing because sometimes their listening exercises would come out like a film score because there's so much sound happening in school. And it would also really reflect, you know, people's personality, who they are. What do you pay attention to? Whereas one child might hear all of the natural sounds. Another child might hear all of the human-made sounds. Another child is just super tuned into the, all of the building mechanical sounds. And so it's um, all of these projects are meant to give people tools in order to implement them themselves in their own classrooms. And you'll be able to find, everybody will be able to find something that they can do in the hub. And if you do this work yourself, then you can also submit a project too, so that you can actually share this further. So we're looking at really creating a community of practitioners, a community of people who are excited about making music and helping other people make music themselves as well. Yay. Perfect place to bring it to an end. Jody Prosnick, Louise Campbell, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's totally awesome to hear both of you talk about things. Thank you.